All right, welcome in to another edition of Silver Linings Podcast. I'm Adam, next to me is Rex, and we have a guest on, Denise. Uh, and before we get to Denise and, and, and introduce her real quick, the last podcast we had, we had Craig Shoemaker on. And, you know, he talked about his childhood, how his dad abandoned him, his, um, then he got abducted by a pedophile guy who ended up, you know, raping him. He had a terrible childhood and he's gone on in his life to do some very positive things, um, in his life. And so he shared that with us in our last podcast. So if you didn't get to see it, I, I encourage you to watch it. Um, and be able to, and he also made us laugh with some really good impressions. So, um, with that being said, Rex and I started this podcast, um, called silver linings because of Rex's, um, spin instructor who came up with the name for us, because we were like with our tragic situation with our family and we, and we came on here and said, we're going to share 10 episodes and just try to help people. And my whole purpose was that other families don't have to go through what I went through. I don't like any of the things that had happened to my family. So my purpose was to do that. Um, and then Rex's purpose was to help people really understand their conscience and how to make conscious decisions and follow their own self-conscious, which go hand in hand with what we're doing on this podcast. And they always, ha- and they have been. Well, on our Facebook group, a couple of days ago, I saw a post from Denise and I read it and I was like in awe. So I actually reached out to her and I said, hey, Denise, would you be willing to share your story on the podcast? Because Rex, who, we had another person share uh, their story on our podcast, uh, I don't know, about a month ago, right? Right. And yeah. she well received. Yes, and very well received. She was super nervous and all these things. And so Denise, as I tried to talk to her last night, super nervous about it's weird to be on video and, and talk about your life and the tragedies that have happened to you. But I just feel like Denise is her story will be able to help somebody out there listening. So first of all, Denise, welcome. And thank you for coming on the, the uh, podcast with us. Well, thank you so much. It was, I was blown away. Um, when you contacted me, um, it's, and, and I, excuse me, I am nervous. Um, as I explained to you, um, previously, um, uh, due to uh, the situation and, and kind of the culmination of of everything that I've been through in my life, um, about a year and a half ago, all of that kind of came to a head with one with one more kind of really big hit. And when that hit, um, it it was like everything from that happened from the time I was 11 until that day, all the, ever, all that had, that had been, I'd just been storing, I'd been shoving it down and pressing it down and pressing it down. And it was June 5th of 2022. And I got hit, um, again with just something, you know, I, that was so painful. It just, all that other stuff, just it felt like it all hit me all at once not only that situation but everything and so i've been agoraphobic for the past few years so i'm a touch nervous and you've been in your house for a long time like yesterday you and i had some conversations yeah. and i want we'll, we'll talk about 
what happened in your childhood. We talked about you and I have both been in our closets on the floor crying where we didn't want to get out. We both, you and I have had several experiences because of what's happened in our families that we both um, understand that. And I'm sure there's other people who will watch this that will understand that and relate to it. But it's so powerful, some of the things that have happened to you. And um, you don't have to go full into all the stories and all that, but kind of start at your childhood with things that have gone wrong with you. Because I know sometimes I look back and I was like, you ask God, why is one thing happening after another, after another? And it just keeps on piling up. And you're like, when is it going to stop? Yeah, it it is. Um, well, it, so... Kind of the reader's digest version. Yeah, you, know. you don't have to go totally uh, yeah. deep. Yeah. yeah, So, um, so you can have you know an understanding. I was born and raised here in in Arizona, and uh, my father, my mom, and dad um, lived here. I have a brother that's ten years older than I am, and um, my dad was a musician, um, and uh, he also had you know day job, and my mom, uh, my mother is bipolar. Um, at, during those days it was called manic depressive, but now it's bipolar. Um, she also has a, um, a couple of different personality disorders that we have that diagnosed now, but weren't understood then. So, um, um, I was involved in a lot of things. I was involved in dance. I was, um, little miss Arizona. I was all of these sorts of things, but she kind of lived her life through, through me, you know, and how other perceived me is how she believed other perceived her as a parent. So my, you know, whether I succeeded or failed, she felt reflected on her and I was either rewarded or punished according on that. Correct. So, um, and, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, um, the abuse started uh, when I was about four, um, but, um, in the abuse during those days, uh, emotional, uh, physical, um, is it from your mom or your mom and your dad? My mom. Your dad, your dad left or what? uh, Well, my dad, my dad was just, um, he, you know, he would work during the day, uh, Monday through Friday. And then he had, um, he had a, a a band that did regular gigs here around the valley, uh, and they were here when um, when Willie Nelson and Waylon and and Glenn Campbell and all them all of those all those people yeah. were out of the valley at Mister Lucky mm-hmm. and you know that sort of thing. So they were in with that crowd, and and uh, so my dad played you know local gigs on you know uh, weekends, yeah, you know, Thursday through Saturday night. So, um, and he was a very nice man and very, and very, uh, very charismatic and he was a bass player and he sang and, um, he was always, everybody thought that he was the cool guy, you know, Uh but, um, he, he was a womanizer, um, and he was not present for me at all. Okay. Um, he he actually kind of told my mom, you know, you raise them until they're 13 and then, you know, I'll, I'll take it from there. She says, well. If I do my job right, you don't have anything to do. But unfortunately, she... So he wasn't around. Your mom was abusive uh, mentally and physically to you as a as a child and then right. as your teenagers and all, all that, right? So yeah. growing up was super rough. It was. It was. Uh, my father passed away of mesothelioma three days before my 11th birthday. Mm. 
and he was buried. He was put to rest on my birthday. Um, and um, the following two years was a downward spiral for her um, in drugs and alcohol, which just intensified the abuse, as you can imagine. Yeah. Uh, she became schizophrenic at one point and they hospitalized her, which caused us to um, move to Iowa to be with her family um, so that she could be hospitalized and while I was there. But during the years between um, 11 and uh, two months before my uh, 14th birthday, when we were here, she was she had started managing this bar. She was very um, into, like I said, lots of alcohol, lots of drugs, um, bipolar, very promiscuous, very, you know, had a lot of that. Um, and uh, the physical abuse escalated to a pretty dramatic point and uh psychological abuse um and emotional abuse and and then it turned to sexual abuse um uh in which she um To put it the easiest way is, you know, I she exposed me with two of her boyfriends. Right. Okay. And so, um, and so, you know, it was such, it was such, it was kind of a relief when, you know, she went into the hospital and we went to Des Moines and I thought that I was going to have some type of normalcy, you know, that that was going to be that way. But these were people, her family that I didn't know, didn't know me. Um, and it was, they had a lot of misconceptions. And so I started working right away. And, um, and when she got out of the hospital, uh, we got a little place together and, um, I, she, although she was getting my social security, I was still working full time out of school, like two different jobs to put it together. And I was paying the rent and doing the grocery shopping and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. And um, she was pocketing my social security checks, and so. So that was that was your childhood yeah. and being raised, and I and I get it because Craig had talked about being abused as a kid too, and I know there's a lot of people who get abused as children, and I think it's just, it's to me, it's just so awful. I mean, oh, yeah. it's, and it's, if I if I tried to leave, she would try to commit suicide. And put and, the guilt thought the guilt factor I, on you as a parent does that to kids sometimes. So. As a kid, you grow up through that. Because of time constraints, I want to get to a couple parts of your story that we talked about yesterday. And I, okay. I, I first of all, I'm sorry that you had the childhood that you did. It's un, unbearable what you went through. Right. Uh, but then you ended up getting married and having kids. And I do want you to talk a little bit about your son and a little bit about your husband. Because yesterday you had mentioned something about what Rex had said about trust that hit you. You right. went to you went to a few therapists. And the therapist couldn't relate to you what Rex had said on our podcast. Exactly. You right? Oh my god! So maybe you can talk to Rex about well, well the after yeah. we talk about what your situation was. Right. Well, um, because my history had been what it was, my um, my husband and I were liter were best friends before we began dating, and um, we started when we began dating. I had been through quite a bit, um, as I mentioned. And um, my, my, uh, I didn't, there was no trust when it came to men. 
And um, although he was my best friend and I loved him dearly, you know, I had really no interest in marriage. And he was like, then what are we doing this for? You know, so we had this talk and and um, I agreed to put marriage on the table. And I said, you know, my whole life I've known nothing, but, you know, I've been carrying this sword and shield my whole life because I've all I've been the only person that I can depend on. And, you know, I don't want to, you know, dating is one thing, but when you get married, you, you trust that other person to be your partner, to be your advocate, you're, 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 they become on your team. And, you know, in my mind, you know, I'm trusting you that I no longer have to carry this sword and shield by myself, you know, that we're in this together. And he said, absolutely. And he said, you know, um, you know, that's, you know, being unfaithful, you know, is the last thing you'll ever have to worry about for me, you know? Yeah. So um, we had three children and um, uh, our oldest child, um, he was just an amazing, amazing kid. His name was Josh. Um, and from the time from birth till, you know, around until 14, he was on the honor list, you know, principal's list. He was uh, active in football and all of all American kids. Oh, he was he was modeling. He wrote right. all these sorts of things. He was extraordinarily funny. He loved Garth Brooks. He, you know, just this great kid. Well, he had a um, he had a uh, accident in during a football game in which he broke his arm, and uh, during a game, and um, they sent him home. They fixed it. They sent him home, and they sent him home with Vicodin. And we know him so much more now than we did then. You know. But um, it, it turned out that um, the combination of the exposure to the opiates, as well as then not being able to be play football because of the injury, and um, and then he started, you know, for several reasons, he started he changed his peer group, and he started experimenting with you know drugs and alcohol. And um, he, the peer group, he joined this band and um, little did we know there were two members of this band that were in the occult. And, um, and when we found out a few months later, we immediately put the kibosh on it. Um, but by that time, it was something in him had changed. I can't tell you what it was out of my I don't know what it was. And you the, said you saw it in his eyes. Like at some I, point you looked at him. Day, I just turned and looked at him and he wasn't there. I was crying. I was crying and, and begging with him to listen to me, you know, to stop because it seemed like, you know, he was, his pain was relieved by inflicting pain. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, it, you know, that's the way and very very abusive and um but hold on real quick i just want to say i can relate to this only because you know a lot of people in our podcast as i talk about lori and how rex and i loved lori and how she was different and she was fun and outgoing and and smart and just all the things that lori was um people some people don't want to believe that some people want to say she was a monster her whole life and that's fine you can believe what you want to believe 
But there was a change in Lori. And then when I saw her on the news and I looked at her face, I didn't recognize that, Lori. Like you're talking about the same thing happened to your son. You didn't really recognize him because he went on this, he changed and went on a whole other path. Oh, it was incredible. It was, it was like, there was, I, I didn't recognize him. That, that was not, I had no, I didn't, I didn't, I, there was nothing about him that was familiar to me. Yeah. And he was just so cruel with his words and he was very manipulative and it was just really difficult. We took him to, um, a neurologist because he had had a couple of concussions with football and we thought maybe that was what was going on. And yeah. On different medications and all that, we really, we really tried, and we tried for a long time. But the abuse, and he became just so out of control that he ended up um, um, leaving. Uh, he moved out about a month before he turned eighteen, and um, he moved to um, across town. We are, we are in the far north, the farthest northwest of Phoenix. Uh, we're out by Lake Pleasant. Yeah. He went out, uh, he lived in the Tempe, uh, Tempe Mesa area and he got involved. He started running drugs, um, for one of the get one of the blood gangs. Mm. Yeah. And, um, the next time we saw him, he had tattoos, gang tattoos on his neck. He had yeah. few cops, which we know what that means. And this is this is your son that you raised was an all American kid that you loved to death. Was baptized. Was you know uh, had two healthy parents that loved him that supported him through everything. And, and as a parent, I just want people to think about this. As a parent, I want you to think about your own kids and see about what would it what would that feel like to have somebody that was had the whole world in his hands and have it go completely the other way and as a parent i know that you get judged on your son's behavior because you're the parent Mm -hmm. yeah it's been it's been really we actually had um that that whole thing lasted from the time that he left um for the next 12 years was just complete chaos with him um but we did have a couple of times where because our address was on his he never changed it on his driver's license yeah show up at his our door when he was looking and you know him and they came in and with the one of the first times the officers walked in and they you know verified and you know said are you joshua and used his last name and 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 said are his parents is this his home and i said well this is not his home we are his parents he's never had the address changed and they walked in and they verified it like three or four times and i said yes i i, I promise you and you know showed him my id and they said well you know, please excuse us for our, you know, for us being taken aback. But he's been telling us that he was raised in the worst part of, you know, the inner city, that he had to join a gang when he was in sixth grade, that you were a prostitute, that, you know, doing all these sorts of things and raised on the street. And now they walk in and, you know, they're living, they walk into our home and it is the vast opposite, you know. Yeah, of course. Parents that love him, and we're in a, you know, a, you know, middle class, you know, and and so and it was obvious that you know two healthy parents in a lovely home that really loved their children, you know, and they were just they had been dealing with what he had been telling them, so they were just so taken aback. Yeah, and and I said, please understand that. 
this is not what we wanted for him. And they said, you know, that they understood. And at that point, I, I, I really have to say that both the Phoenix and the uh, Phoenix Major Offenders Bureau, as well as um, the Peoria Police Department, have been amazing, have been absolutely amazing support system through us for us throughout this. I love so, that. Um, he came, he, there was a point, and he came back um, after he'd been gone several years. He came back. He wanted to apply for um, like a government medical program because um, he was over 21. He wanted to apply for that and so that he could get into a rehab thing. Um, and so, and, you know, get out of that lifestyle. He said he wanted to go back into church and, and he was crying and, and, you know, just really, you know, well, that lasted for about 12 hours. And then wow. just started. Then um, we had found out that I found the drugs and I found his drugs, found his stash of drugs. I found it with alcohol and, and about three different guns that he had hidden in the room that he was in. And, um, um, my husband and I had, I had gathered those up. I gathered up what I had found and, you know, eliminated it. Um, and my husband had left and was going to pick up my vehicle because it was being fixed. And, um, when he did that, my son locked, locked himself with my daughter and I, who was 10 at the time in the house, um, and he held us in the house at gunpoint um and he was explaining called my husband and explaining how he was going to um wait for my husband to get back so he could watch him kill us you know and my it to summarize it was it was extraordinarily traumatic for my daughter um I was able to get out of the room and um, cause he had been using that day when he was distracted, I was able to get her out the front door and lock the, you know, lock the door behind her and told, you know, told her where to go and whose house to go to and locked the door behind her. And I stayed behind so he couldn't follow her out the door. But, um, and then, you know, there was SWAT and everything that came in and he was apprehended and he was taken, you know, he was taken to jail. Um, but they would not prosecute him without my daughter testifying. And she was only 10 at the time. And she was so traumatized. Yeah. She didn't want her, to go her, up the stairs. Well, her therapist said there's no way she can do that. Yeah. She can't be responsible for that. So, um, so even though they had him on the phone, you know, recorded so much of this, they let him out. And um, he ended up in CAS, you know, which is the the homeless shelter. Yep. And there he met a young woman who was being um, evaluated um, by the state of Arizona um, because she was also, she was bipolar. She was suffering some from some, from some mental, from mental disorder. And um, she was being evaluated. They have a what's called a home program, and um, if you if you meet the qualifications, they provide your housing, they pay for your utilities, that sort of thing. And so um, that took some time. And while they were doing that, she was at the shelter. 
Well, when he found out that she was getting, they were providing her apartment because he's an alcoholic, because he's a drug addict, because he's a manipulator, because he's a user, he's, that's what they do. That's what they do. You know, um, he, he became involved with her. They got an apartment together and sure enough, three months later, they became pregnant and, um, the baby was born and the baby had drugs in her system when she was born. So she spent the first six months with us. Um, Josh, our, my, our son and his wife, um, sometimes stayed with us in the house and stuff, but you know, being with her and then we set them up an apartment, beautiful apartment and you know, a little condo and everything, got it all furnished and all that, get them all set up. And then, you know, our granddaughter went to live with them and she spent time with them and spent time in our home. But, you know, we brought her home and I took care of that. I gave her her first bath. I taught her to talk. I, you know, but through that 15 or first 22 months of her life, um, there was multiple CPS interventions. I'm sure. Yeah. And finally, um, we had been out of town and we came back and it had gotten completely out of control. I had to go pick her up in an emergency situation. We came back um, because of a lot of different things. CPS made the choice to put her in our home while, you know, Josh and Nikki went through the CPS thing of reunification. And um, unfortunately, you know, Sarah was in a really bad place. She was uh, selectively mute by that point because um, um, of the abuse that she had suffered while we were gone. Um, and they had said that, you know, the therapist that had taken care of her said it was uh, five different therapists and her a physician had examined her and said it was 100%. It was the, in their opinion, professional opinion after this three month thing that they had said it was, they could say with a hundred percent certainty, this child had been sexually abused. Mm. And we thought for sure that, you know, we would be, you know, we would be holding her at that. We would be keeping her at that time. We couldn't imagine them sending her back, especially with all the previous cases. But, um, they came to pick her up one day for a supervised visitation and they held a um, court hearing without us knowing and the judge placed her back in the household and we didn't know for 24 hours and we lost her. And the terror that that put me in to think about her to think about that baby girl and all she had been through and not knowing what she had done wrong and why I had disappeared and and being scared, it was just not only losing her, but the day-to-day terror of not knowing. knowing. Not Adam, I can all I can do is I can tell you I just hit the floor for two years. Yeah. And it was I was just functioning. And my daughter was also traumatized and we were, you know, during the, you know, time when she was awake, 
I was holding her and being there for her. And when she finally went to sleep, it was when I collapsed. Now, during this time, my husband was coming home, you know, going to work, coming home. He would do the dishes or do dinner or whatever. And it wasn't, and he was doing what he knew to, you know, the day-to-day things. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that I didn't appreciate that. And it wasn't that I didn't care. And it wasn't that I didn't love him. It's just that I was in so much turmoil and pain and so much fear and because of what also my experience knowing my having been through sexual abuse and having it was terrifying knowing knowing all those things yeah so, uh, denise let, let me just say let me yeah. just let me just say this um we had a conversation yesterday uh and you were telling me your story and um I, because of time I want to have you on again and tell the other part what happened to your son and how you handled that, what happened to you and your husband, how you handled that, and what Rex said in his um, you know, podcast we talked about trust and how that resonated with you and now how that has now helped you and your husband because that part of the story, which will when we have you on again the next time right i mean it will be like those are the things that i feel will be able to resonate with other people so many people who have had so many bad things happen to them in their lives and the silver linings podcast when you in our facebook group or just people who listen they have a lot of trauma and your trauma you and i i think your trauma the when you tell people what happened with your son and then tell what happened with your husband um i think people understand why you are on your on your floor in your closet for three days crying and not being right. able to move well I, I, what yeah. it happened yeah well what had happened is during those two years um he he didn't understand and he thought that i had pulled him away i had pulled away that i had blamed him you know for the loss and uh he felt that he you know that i thought he didn't do enough or whatever it was right but he convinced himself that i no longer loved him yeah and so he came to me uh, um, two years later in 2019, and he, he, you know, he told me that that he didn't believe that I loved him, and and it was at that point where I realized that, you know, I realized I needed to get up off the floor, you know, regardless of what had happened, you know, I needed my family needed me. It was time. It was time to set my feet on the path of restoration, and and it was time to start mending. It's time to get off the floor and do what it takes. So that's a completed. Let's let's stop there, so we don't spoil the the whole context. Because I think you just pointed out the starting point, which is going to blossom into all the positive that's coming from these terrible terrible tragedies let's make sure we have time for that yeah so well in our denise podcast yeah so denise that's what and that's what happened so that's what i did over the next three years you know i i took no you know i wrote down little every night i'd write down little notes on ways that i could you know that i could show him that love that i could have him feel that love that i do all of that uh we think Hang on, because we, we're gonna we're gonna end this podcast, and then we're gonna record you for 
a whole other podcast, a third, another okay. thirty, another thirty-minute podcast, which you will then tell what happened with your son, how you deal with that, because there's plenty of parents that had or that have to deal with what you dealt with, and there's plenty of wives that had to deal with what you dealt with with your husband and how you came through both of those huge traumas in your life. So we'll end it here, and then we'll have part two with Denise um, on another podcast. Are you okay with that, Denise? Yeah, um, I'm I'm so sorry that I didn't know. No, uh, your story is, a, I mean, to me, you're a miracle walking. I, you, when people hear more of your story too, it's like, oh my gosh, what more can this poor woman go through? And how did she function? And how did she do it? Those are the things that I want to be able to make sure we relate to everybody listening on the podcast or watching on YouTube. Um, and I know people are going to want to know more. And I know at some point, you're going to have to write a book because your story is like, it's, it's off the charts. So first, well, thank I you. appreciate the time and, um, but, and I do, um, as, as, uh, you know, as, as we leave it here, um, I do want to, I do want to say that, um, that is, you know, we'll pick it up for the rest, but I do want to say that I was really touched by Rex the other day when I was listening to him talk about trust. And, um, and what is involved and what is involved in trust and, and what he said about, um, you know, that it's not just trusting somebody, it's not just a generic thing. It's being there for somebody in the way that they need you to be there. Not just, I'm not going to cheat on you. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to do this or whatever. It's not just under a generic umbrella. And I think that that's what, you know, a lot of the perception is, and that's what mine was. And I know that's what my husband's was, but you know, it was that portion of what you said about really connecting and understanding what somebody needs and how they need it is it touched I, I, even though I'd never met you, I felt seen, I felt heard and in a way that I hadn't in 45 years. And I want to thank you for that. Brother. Thanks for sharing that. And Denise, it takes so much to come on. We're so grateful and uh, hope you're willing to do the part two. If y'all happy, I'm so sorry I wasn't able to get it all. And that's fine. No, your story is there's so much more to to come. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you, Denise. Okay. Stay with us for part two and for our next live. We'll announce that soon. Thank you.